2: Welcome everybody to the show, Life's a Banquet,
1: the show that's edible, spreadable, and Zara
2: Horrible.
1: Starring your hosts, me, Brendan Scott, and
2: me, Zara Tangora. A show about ostriches, wine and dough! <laughs> <laughs> I'm drunk! <laughs> Always! Life's <sighs> a Banquet, Life's a Banquet, Life's a Banquet, Banquet!
1: podcast you have reached
2: life's a banquet we'll begin
1: today talking about the highs and lows of all things edible spreadable and zara
2: pourable
1: starring your hosts brett and scott and zara tangora wow you really <laughs> sound so
2: i forgot my name
1: <laughs> all right well listen here we are on a gorgeous june afternoon Ugh. I don't mind that. That's just a creaky floor. <laughs> uh, so this, actually, I know that usually we say recorded in the heart of Fort Greene Studios. We have we're uh, on location today. Yeah, we're on lo- different location today. Uh, we've expanded our empire. Uh, it's growing rapidly. <laughs> we are. This is technically, hopefully, will be episode seven, and we are in the heart of Carroll Gardens.
2: Yeah. At Studio 20 mm-hmm. in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. <laughs> Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. All the way from the red sauce capital of New York City. Now, here
1: we are, folks, right around the corner from our favorite restaurant, Kelly.
2: Oh, yes, we are in, within an earshot of Kelly. Mm-hmm.
1: Zara just happened to move to our favorite pizza,
2: pizza restaurant
1: in all of the world and the land.
2: A lot of people's favorite pizza restaurant.
1: Now, if you're just jumping in on our podcast, this is a a food-related and beverage-related podcast and uh, and anything that might come out of food, which I guess is everything in life. Exactly. So it's a podcast about everything.
2: It's a podcast about everything in general mm-hmm. in the world. So really, we're just covering all topics. Covering all
1: topics if both of you are listening and
2: Zara and I... Did you I, say both of you are listening? Yeah. Like to the of, two
1: people yeah, who are listening? Yeah, right yeah both of our moms. <laughs> yeah, whatever.
2: So to the both of you listening... So
1: Bobby and Carlene... <laughs> Uh, This is directly to you. This is like how they find out what's really going on in her life. She didn't tell me that.
2: Oh my gosh, I didn't realize. So yeah, we uh, Brett and I, in our off time between our busy, you know, jet-setting podcasting schedule, which Mm -hmm. brings us pretty much around the globe, um, for fun, we cater parties. Yeah, for fun, it's just like our like like to keep us engaged. Yeah, exactly to keep us kind of like down to earth. Yeah, down to earth and give us
1: material for this show. Exactly, and we. We catered a really wonderful party. The best ever, actually. The best ever, and yeah. the people that we did it for were the most wonderful, kind people. Yeah. They were old Brucey regulars. Yeah,
2: they were the best people ever.
1: Kind, wonderful people. They had a beautiful house beautiful. and wonderful friends. It was their, It was his 40th birthday. Yeah. What a way to celebrate, right? I know. <laughs> what a way to celebrate by having us cater your party.
2: <laughs> the only way <laughs> yeah. to celebrate, as far as I'm concerned. Please call us for
1: bookings or questions or related at... Info at life's a banquet Oh wait, so right, now
2: it was fun. It was a really good party. What else is new with you? Um, I can't imagine there's much, being that I talk to you pretty much from the time that I wake well, up to the time I go to bed every day. But it's
1: been a while since we recorded. It has been, yeah. We've officially happened. now we're we've launched the podcast. Yeah. Uh, this this was a long time coming, and we fin- finally got it together. I sometimes think, gosh, there's you know. 1.4 other million podcasts out why can't we figure out to do this really quickly <laughs> I was like we're the first people that are ever doing this just kidding <laughs> we're like the last people online like what yeah it was like in third grade when I didn't know like math yet and I was convinced that nobody else knew what was going on I was like I don't understand like <laughs> four divided by two there must be an answer to this <laughs> everybody else figured it out before I did
2: It's hard. I think sometimes it can be hard getting something started and that's for everyone out there. I'm sure everyone's kind of started some kind of project and you're like, wow, this is taking a long time or maybe you're just better than us and it doesn't take a long time. But every big project I've ever started takes longer than you think. And it seems really tiring at some point. And then you get to that moment where you're like, it's done. And then you kind of start rolling. Like I remember before I opened the restaurant, it felt like it it took like eight months to get it open. Yeah. And I was like, I thought it was going to take two months. It, it always took And it felt longer. like it would have never, ever happened. And then I have other projects that I've worked on. Like I was working on a project for two years, um, like before, right after I closed Brucey, e, and it never actually materialized yeah. to be what I wanted it to. And that happens sometimes too.
1: Now, here at Life's a Banco, we are all about, again, we said the ups and downs and the highs and lows. And the the general, our mission statement is, Keep on keeping on, keep on trucking and keep, you know, if you're down in the ditch, you find that scrap of, you find that martini that somebody poured out and you take a damn sip of it and you pick yourself. (laughs) Lick that right martini right up off the floor. lick that martini up and you get back up (laughs) and you go to the side of the river and you pull out your own oyster and (laughs) shuck it with the stick
2: and you say, gosh darn it, I am, I'm going to. Who cares? (laughs) You go to the East River and you get get your own oysters. That's funny. Yeah, that's comedy. You go to the back door of that kitchen and you (laughs) 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 you go to that Trader Joe's dumpster and you get yourself as many uh, whatever you got ribeye steaks. Yeah. Oh, I went to
1: the last night. I went to this. There's an event in Brooklyn, uh, run by some female chefs and food lovers. It's called Queer Soup Kitchen.
2: Queer Soup Night.
1: Queer Soup Night. Yeah, queer. (laughs) But it's like queer soup <laughs> night with a kitchen. They have kitchens.
2: they oh, got kitchens. I'm just thinking, it's so funny. It's just a funny, because uh, a queer soup kitchen, I'm just picturing like a soup kitchen, you know, for like homeless people, but everyone's like super gay and kind of partying and like neither vibe is quite <laughs> well, lining up. Well, that was up. kind of what it was. I walked <laughs> I walked in a lot
1: last night. Now, from where I come from, the word queer, I always thought of somebody that had a earring in their right ear.
2: Uh huh. Yes, that was a very big so I don't know like back in the queer
1: day. for the younger generation. I'm just about to enter my mid forties or early early 40s, come early forties. Earlier
2: 40s. today, I told my mom that you were turning fifty, and she believed
1: <laughs> what? me. Well, I'm. A, <laughs> I can't believe your mom. I don't have a damn gray hair. You look amazing. Above my yeah. Well, listen. I don't know what queer means. I right. Guess, I think these days queer means a lesbian party but I could be
2: wrong. No, I don't think so. I think that, a- I, I think for the younger generation and for what we're the ever changing definition of the word queer. And I say this as someone who may be un- slightly unqualified. Like, I don't want to sound like a complete idiot right now I don't and be like, um, still so what they actually mean when they say queer, but I think queer is developing more and more to encompass just alternative Sexualities and gender fluid gender fluid exactly and um, you know gay and lesbian and trans and people who are just even uh, identifying more with like you know different kind of countercultures in terms of sexuality
1: what I found fascinating last night is that there's this whole there's this giant movement and then there's all these young queers and gay men and lesbians and non people I don't know people that just identify with queer or whatever that means for anybody sure uh, I've, I'm thinking of like a 1980s thing of a picture of like a guy with like cut off jean shorts with like a right hoop <laughs> earring. He's like, that guy's queer. <laughs>
2: like George Michael. Yeah, yeah,
1: George Michael was definitely queer.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He was queer. Yeah, he, oh, he was. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was going to say he still so is. So I don't know. I don't know. Dead, Sometimes right?
1: I guess I'm gay. I don't know if I'm gay or queer. I think you're both. I think queer is just, oh, what a queer couch. you. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yeah, how queer? The weather is very queer, isn't it? Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> It's raining, man. <laughs> That's what I think of queer. Anyway, it was Brooklyn Pride. I went to Queer Soup Night, and Cherry Bomb Magazine helped host awesome. it last night. Love Cherry Bomb. Tons of people. Hundreds and hundreds really? of people. That's cool. And DJ. There were some people. I think Smith Canteen had a little booth set up, and they, what you do oh, is nice. you donate some money. You can Venmo, Square Cash, donate cash, Okay. and then you can have the, the some of the chefs offer... Some food. That's awesome. So and you can soup. have like a bowl of soup. Somebody made some scones or something. That's rad. Some I love scones that. And it was really fun. I ran into I ran into a younger queer, a younger gentleman. Okay. And I met another girl that was a private chef also, oh, and she's great. from Montreal. And they told me about some other magazines going on. There's this. There's a queer magazine called Jerry Mag. There's, yeah, that, that's great. Uh, something he said called El Champ, and he told me about some other podcasts. So I felt oh great as as my. You I just know, said my, great like ten times. Yeah, in a row. that's
2: great. Oh, great.
1: Sometimes great. I feel rather oh, just disconnected oh, in my early forties, living with my two cats in my tiny Brooklyn apartment. With no, it's my good. Boyfriend. To,
2: it's good to get back out. Like I think as you get older, I know both of us are kind of like I don't know. Just like, settle oh, into yeah. your routines a little bit more. And you, yeah, it's just good to get watch. out. I
1: just want to make a rhubarb tart, and you I know, know I'm order like and
2: type I'm just it. gonna go like drink a martini at like Brooklyn Social and like go eat meatballs at Frankie's like. Mm-hmm. And, like I have no kind of drive to do anything other than well. That let me lately. tell you for
1: those of you that don't live in New York, or for those of you who do, you and I think maybe even in whatever city or land or country you're in, you sort of get in this a routine or a habit. At least most people do, and I think you find your favorite places. And of course, oh I, yeah, don't get me wrong. We have branched. I've spent I've spent many a years experimenting, and at the end of the day, I really love becoming a regular. Uh, me too. Zara and I just said. Let's try to find our cheers. I
2: mean, we have our cheers pretty well carved out. I have a couple of cheers.
1: Well, I hope this
2: podcast for you becomes your cheers. I-
1: All right. <laughs> I'm going to give you a minute to run your fridge, grab a <laughs> bottle of Svetka, or, or maybe, you're, <laughs> maybe you don't drink, and maybe it's a sparkling oh, LaCroix with a slice of orange in this one. Uh, or t-
2: like a bottle of Xanax. <laughs> a bottle just of go cozy up with your bottle of a Xanax. Xanax and and just take one. Or some in not- Pepto-Bismol.
1: Some Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> and microwave popcorn my mom used to buy light microwave popcorn really? and then she would she would melt like a half a cup of butter on it so she would buy microwave popcorn and be like oh oh no breton i'm getting the light popcorn and then she would drizzle melted butter on it good for her i mean Car- Car- carlene well yeah wash it down with a diet coke carlene
2: i like your style i used to get the like microwave popcorn when i was a kid um now i eat Really I think I eat pretty healthy. I mean, I don't eat processed foods ever. Of course, I enjoy a good fistful of french fries just as much as the next guy. Um, but when I was younger, I used to eat a lot of processed foods. And mm-hmm.
1: well, a lot of us did in the eighties and nineties. Yes,
2: but also I was my parents got divorced when I was young, and I think my mom, mm-hmm. in a way to like avoid any kind of additional Confrontation in her life was like, go ahead, get whatever you want from the supermarket, like. Yeah, and I would feel I would it's basically like three do a bags of fruity pebbles. Oh yeah, I would do a supermarket sweep of one child <laughs> of like all the most d- like Dunkaroos handy hmm. snacks, like tombstone oh, 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 grabbing the honey baked ham. <laughs> there <laughs> she goes for a giant tub of frosting.
1: Okay, if Supermarket Sweep is the best game show ever, it's Google it. It's on YouTube. There's
2: nothing that even comes close.
1: Nothing. I'm gonna watch. We're gonna in fact. We're gonna pause and we're gonna watch. I think it we right should now. actually
2: just watch an episode for the rest of this. Ep- like, let's not do what we planned, and let's just pull down the projector and watch Supermarket Sweep. Yeah,
1: that's all we should do. Quiet time. But other than that, you know, I let's see what else is going on food wise. Oh, strawberries. Uh, full season. They're they're
2: yeah. full-blown.
1: Honey, get out your rhubarb. Get out your strawberries. I was looking at recipes this morning because I got some strawberries, <laughs> and I thought, oh, Zara, actually the other night at the party, you made a really big strawberry rhubarb crisp. I it's did. delicious. Now, I'll tell you something. I was like, what else? Okay, a strawberry rhubarb pie. You could do hand pies. You could do turnovers. P- pocket pies. I love pocket pies. Yeah. You, more you cru- and my mom both. You get more crust to the, you know, and then, then the, the crust gets moistened by the yeah. fruit.
2: My That's mom true. loves a pocket pie. Pocket pie. This, po- this podcast is essentially now just about my mom. Yeah. And you're going to do <laughs> Bobby's pocket pies.
1: And I would say yeah. that. So then I thought, well, let's make a shortcake. Now, here's the thing. <gasps> I like my strawberries <sighs> fresh, but macerated.
2: Or masturbated. Yeah. There's no way to Hold say on. that without thinking of macerated. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go
1: to the bathroom and macerate my strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it,
2: I'm going to go macerate. Uh, some strawberries well, in my anyway, bedroom while you apparently, do Apparently, that. that's what the queers are saying. They're,
1: everybody's macerating their strawberries. <laughs> Macerate that's this. New, mac- that's what the kids are saying.
2: They're mutually macerating.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. You wouldn't believe all of the macerated strawberries <laughs> all over the place.
2: Queer Soup Night was full of macerators. But
1: I do like my... Obviously, rhubarb, you've got to cook. Yeah. So you got to cook your rhubarb. you yes. got to add sugar because it's just, you know. And my friend Erica, she's that pastry chef, and she's like, if I freaking like here one more dessert with rhubarb, because... People get excited about rhubarb.
2: I get very, I get titillated.
1: I love my rhubarb. rhubarb. Well, so I was looking, I'm thinking, okay, great. Well, let's make a freezer jam. You know what freezer jams are?
2: No, but you did mention this to me recently as something you love, and I'm very interested. Okay,
1: now for folks out here, let's talk a little scientific about jams. Now, when you make a jam, uh, you can do it two ways. You can slow cook it so that the sugar gets ever so caramelized. But mm-hmm. not caramelized, just thickens up a bit. You can right. add pectin, which helps set the jelly, right? And yep. pectin, you can also, pectin is a naturally derived from, actually, probably the best thing is apple cores.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Okay. So you can get, you can boil some uh, rhubarb and put, throw in some apple cores and like put that in a cheesecloth and then you get your pectin. Or you can just that, buy Sure that Gel.
2: Sounds exhausting. I know.
1: I like a teaspoon of I'm Sure Gel. Myself.
2: I was teaspoon of what? Sure Gel. What the hell is Sure Gel? Pectin. Oh I don't is that the brand? Yeah sure Joe. there's like much a in-
1: get natural pectin. Okay. And I would so anyway you freezer jam and if I was going to make it you don't have to fully cook the strawberries although I was reading a lot my grandmother used to make it you would you heat the sugar and then you pop the contents you put the contents of into the bag it
2: puts she, the she contents of the basket of the
1: freezer jam into the freezer. <laughs> <laughs>
2: the fa- Are you doing Kermit the Frog or Buffalo Bill? Buffalo Bill. <laughs> God, i can't believe you didn't know this
1: she places the freezer jam in yeah. the freezer hi ho, kermit the <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good kermit i know it's my secret do it again do it again <laughs> okay folks now here's the thing i've okay then it stops there i have to practice more <laughs> so oh man that was a freezer surprise. jam and then i thought listen if you ever have a party in your freezer jam you whip out your fresh biscuit. <laughs> you whip out your biscuit. You <laughs> this macerate. You Oh, God. You macerate <laughs> your strawberries all over the biscuit.
2: Whip out that biscuit and macerate now, it.
1: I like a cream biscuit myself. And then you take that cold. <laughs> no, then you take your strawberry rubber yeah. freeze jam and you put it on. And you put it on. You strap it on <laughs> to the plate. <laughs> and. God, you wouldn't believe the kind of party. Everybody puts their keys in a dish, and it voila. (laughs) Trust me, your friends and neighbors will always thank you.
2: (laughs) They'll never stop talking about that biscuit party you had (laughs) that one afternoon. (laughs) So this week's episode is about
1: throwing up.
2: Cream biscuit party. They said this this week's episode is about throwing up.
1: No, I... (laughs) So anyway, sorry, that's what's happening. That's trying to keep it clean and no, talk about the farmers market. It's
2: impossible.
1: And you kids, I, <laughs> you kids. We
2: have like a very. I personally, I'll speak for myself. I feel similarly about you. Have the maturity level of a fourteen-year-old boy.
1: It did. It stopped. Uh, yeah, I had a small brain tumor, <laughs> which was called puberty, and it stopped <laughs> in my pituitary gland. <laughs> No, that's it. I was, you know, just cooking a lot. I really, we really cooked a lot. We worked a lot. We
2: worked a lot. And I'm also, I'm reading um, like a 500-page book about Ted Bundy right now, which doesn't have much about food, except for like one little thing when they said he went to get a hamburger after he murdered a bunch of women. So basically, aside from being so stressed with work, I'm just like anxious and afraid all of the time. Yeah. So I was, and I'm not so, sleeping. <laughs> so that's really fun.
1: But the, you know, I think, so anyway, oh, well, big news. Okay, you know, Yeah. so this maybe be, we'll get into our next topic. Okay. Okay, so our podcast, official Zara, finally uploaded it to iTunes. I don't know how it happened, but she did it, and I just sat back and was drinking cocktails. Yeah,
2: I found a genie, actually, and I, yeah. I was like, he's like, you can have one wish, and I was like, it would be for you to help me figure out how to get this fucking podcast onto yeah. iTunes. I tried YouTubing it, Googling it. I was making yeah. gluten-free
1: pancakes and a- yeah. applesauce pancakes.
2: I was looking on Grindr, on Napster, on pet.com I couldn't find pets.com. any information about how to get a podcast up. Well, so, thank God, out for you genie. found
1: it on the iTunes website. <laughs> yes. It
2: was easier than when I thought. Anyway,
1: our podcast was released on the day, saddened, of the death of Anthony Bourdain. Yeah. And it was very, very sad. I woke up and I somebody had <sighs> texted news. me. And then I think it popped up in my Apple News. And I thought, I, you know, when you wake up and you're like, oh, I, this is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it was the and worst. I not believe it. And My then, mom called
2: me crying hysterically. And then I started crying hysterically.
1: Yeah, a lot of, and it affected, you know, those of us in the industry or not in the industry or just, you know what, anybody that eats food or goes to a restaurant absolutely, in one way or the other has been affected by this man. Yeah. I think, whether good or bad or whatever, if you didn't like him, that's fine. And if you did love him, I mean... I think at the end of the day, our, what I realized he did for food and people is, you know, everybody thinks the food gourmet and this, and he's, he taught that it's just as okay to like a fried hot dog as it is to love, you know, a plate of oysters and, you know, that it, and I think that's sort of, I didn't even realize how much we were influenced by him.
2: I know. It's one of those things where you're just used to having him be part of your life i think for a lot of people whether you would watch his shows or you know industry people who have like read his book and someone said to me the other day after his passing like i'm just really upset he was my hero and i realized that like as adults like we don't really have heroes you know um and but he really was that for people like he was a a hero to adult people he said
1: one of his quotes Preston Re- Preston, my boyfriend, yeah, said well, in case the audience doesn't know, <laughs> he had read a quote saying that uh, Anthony said he felt that he always had inside of a man that wants to sit and smoke weed and watch cartoons yeah. all day and his then his whole life mission was to was to fool that man into like getting out and he's like, just move. Yeah. He's like, get out. Yeah. Go to a different restaurant, go to a different country, talk to somebody you don't normally talk to. Yeah. And I think that is sort of something that we're trying to do. And perhaps that's, we were just influenced so greatly by him.
2: Oh, absolutely. I don't think that, uh, I mean, he was one of the most important people ever. Uh, there's a couple others that I could think of, but he may be the most influential and important person ever in food media. Um, and he, you know, reading some of the things that people, uh, were writing online after his passing, just random people talking about their influence, his influence on them. And, um, you know, personally, he reading his book gave me the confidence and knowledge I needed to be a chef when I didn't know anything about, yeah, when I had, I knew nothing at all about being a chef. I had this bit of money from an accident and I decided to open a restaurant with no knowledge. And I read that book three times in a row and I like took notes and I underlined things and I was like, oh, okay, like this is how you behave when somebody, Starts a fight with you. This is how chefs act when they want to be taken seriously. This is kind of the etiquette. This is what you can expect for like harassment and drugs Mm -hmm. and like and violence and chaos. And um, it really, it really formed me and helped me. And uh, just reading like people online saying, you know, I went through a divorce and I was so depressed. And the only thing that helped me was his show, you know? And I don't know. It was just really touching. I'm not someone who typically gets very distraught over celebrity passings only because it's hard for me to feel really deeply depressed about losing someone I didn't know. Mm -hmm. But it's the saddest I've been about someone dying other than when my dad died. Like it's just really
1: devastating. Now, this brings us into our our topic of the week. And it's not so much of (laughs) it. We try to keep it a surprise, but it's kinda hard to. But I will say this. Okay, so I this is a foreword of a book. Okay. And I've been this was my topic that I chose for this week, and I chose it a while back. Okay. And I thought it was really funny because of the reason that I got interested in this and I started reading some of these books. Okay, so here's Anthony Bourdain, and I'll just quote this from a from a foreword from a book. Uh, blank blank serves this is the book. Uh, Hotel Bemmelman's <gasps> serves as both entertainment and as a reminder that behind the glamorous dining room with its crystal and flowers and tuxedo waiters lies another world of grim, hard, repetitive toil where the strategies of the human spirit must adapt constantly to survive. Where fantasy and ambition and the culled facts are close companions, and where both server and served try their best to achieve their dreams. Oh my God. And so this, who I wanted to talk about this week, was uh, Ludwig Bemelmans.
2: <gasps> oh and my God, now I'm those, so
1: excited. Yeah, so Ludwig Bemelmans. if you don't know who he is, there's now also, there's a bar at the Carlisle Hotel yeah. uh, in New York City called Bemelmans Bar. Very um, fancy. Okay, so couple, let's just get right. This is just,
0: really exciting. Yeah, it is. I'm and thrilled.
1: So I was, uh, about six months ago or seven months ago, I was in... Uh, the kitchen arts and letters bookstore okay which again pre shout out but if you haven't been to that cookbook store on the upper east Side, yeah right? it's a 93rd in lexington uh and it's a cookbook store it's very small and every the staff there knows if you're like i really want to learn more about savory pastries and they can tell you exactly who what when where how that's really cool and so anyway last time i went there was months ago and i was walking by and i see these Bemelman's books and i thought oh that's weird i didn't I thought he wrote the book, people know him as the author of Madeline, the the children's series. And there was all these books, and I see on the front of Hotel Bumman's, it said, absolutely sensational, says Anthony Bourdain on the cover it. So you're looking at it right here. Uh, oh my God. So I thought, what? And so I'm in the bookstore, I was like, let me read this. An- oh, Anthony Bourdain says it, I must read it. Aww. Well, he wrote that forward in the year 2002. And that was just to his book, Conchid Confidential, it came out in 2000. And his first New Yorker article, which, by the way, his mother got into the New Yorker because she knew somebody. It was in 1999. Really? And I reread that article last night, and it's just you have to read it. I'm like, Google, it. yeah, up. yeah. We'll put all the all the links up in our future website because I think everybody should read this. It's so good, and also it for it's the year 2018. <laughs> And since that article came out, it's almost 20 years. I know. Since the crazy world of Food Network, restaurants, like the boom of, I mean, now queer, queers are having rush queers are Queers are eating soup. Queers are eating soup. <laughs> They're covered what in the, soup, the queers. What the heck, my mom says. She's <laughs> confused. She doesn't even know what's happening yet, but she'll come and visit. All right. So listen, Ludwig Bemmelmans, uh, and he was... I, I'm not going to bore you with the details of, of, but he was born at the end of the 1800s. Okay, and it was the, on the Austrian-Hungarian border, actually, which is now Italy. And oh wow! So I'll tell you a little bit brief history about his life from what I've read from these books. Okay, uh, I'll do the you know paraphrase. I like to paraphrase as yeah. Bemelmans.
2: Your your take on history, and also
1: just so everybody knows, Bemelmans. There's no apostrophe. That's his last name is spelled with an S. I love it. So it's Bebelman's bar, but it's Ludwig Bebelman's.
2: Right. So it would really be
1: Bebelman's and. Yeah. So, uh, he was born, and he was a he was just a tyrant. He was born, and he was a cook. His parents were in the hotel business. His father was, and he was a
2: tyrant as a baby. Oh, like yeah, as a <laughs> like kid, a mean I guess he, baby? Couldn't hold, he
1: couldn't hold a job. He was kicked out from boarding school to boarding school. Oh wow! And this, he just had a crazy, and he was most known for. Uh, shooting a man in his stomach because he was getting beaten with like a leather whip or something. All and, of this
2: when he was a baby? Yeah,
1: he was probably I'm like twelve years old. <laughs> <laughs> eh, it was twelve. Child, asshole. Like that. Yeah, child. No, I guess he was really. I mean, he was in the. You've got to. Re- I I won't bore you with all the details. No, of the book, it's fine. He grew up in a crazy hotel time. You know, like nineteen hundred. I love it and he shot
2: someone in the stomach though i'm sorry I didn't mean to meet. not mean yeah you he off.
1: said they he said if you whip me again i'm gonna shoot you he warned him at least good for him maybe. and then i guess he was shot the guy in the stomach i think the guy did not die i think god lived. yeah bullets were much different back then they didn't have like <laughs> yeah no 47 so right uh he ended up they just couldn't keep him in in any kind of school any kind of job and they said let's ship this guy off to america and he uh, he had a choice or he could go into the military or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and he comes to America and he comes to New York City. And of course, since he worked in restaurants and he was brought up in a hotel, he clearly uh, worked in a hotel. Now, the part of the book that I'm referencing He, from Hotel Bummermans, which, by the way, this book is a collection of some of his short stories. Okay. But uh, the man Bummermans wrote over 40 books. Oh, really? 40 books.
2: That's amazing. That's really, really Madeline
1: was only a very small... In fact, he wanted to become more of a novelist and essayist. uh, And he was an illustrator. And apparently, the way that he got discovered... I know my, did you just yawn at me?
2: <laughs> <Look> at <that. laughs> I stayed up until 3 a.m. It's not Fine, you. Fair enough. No, please. I'm sorry. Back to the regular scheduled programming. Sorry. I, w- I didn't to mean to yawn part. at you. No, the story is very interesting.
1: So he ends up working in this hotel, which apparently was the
2: Ritz-Carlton. And it was the Ritz-Carlton. And so <gasps> it's like 1920s Can New you York. imagine? 1920s Picture New York. it. New Picture York, 1920, the Ritz-Carlton. How much more glamorous could you possibly? Get? I
1: mean, this guy has
2: story after Ugh. story about how fabulous
1: about the fabulous parties these wealthy Ugh. New York society people used to throw. And apparently, there was one party where the woman she wanted to recreate her Florida, uh, her whole block. So she had like all these mirrorless and set designers come in and make uh, special cocktails and in the Ritz in the Ritz Carlton. And in the book, he calls it Hotel how div- Splendid. How divine! Because you know, he's probably. A probably yeah. signed a
2: oh consent,
1: my you know. Oh, my God. But we know it's, it's supposed to be the Reds Carlton. Exactly. And That's amazing. And he just tells about, you know, the craziness back then of the restaurant world. And, you know, you, there was these picolos, and picolos were, like, the sub, you know, it talks about the caste system of the hotel. Wow. And picolos were, like, the lowest. They were, like, I mean, you would stay up all night. They would sleep under tables, and they would... Whoa. Oh, they would sleep at the bars. They would have to, like, empty the, the ashtrays. Yeah, there were... Were, Sleeping like, under the table? They were slaves. That's and terrible. And the Piccolos had like, been in the next level, then there was like, waiters, and then there was the maitre d's, and sort of had this caste system, and the chefs were always so crazy. Were the chefs and,
2: at the highest like tier? No,
1: it was always it was either the maitre d's or the managers of the hotel, and of course the owners. And actually, Anthony Bourdain says, he goes, I'd never, he's like, Kinship Confidential was nothing new. He said, Bemelmans wrote about all of this. Oh, man. He was the first. So it's kind of, I thought it was a little serendipitous that it's I had chosen this topic and Yeah. He really loved Ludwig Bemelmans. So anyway, so 1920s. I want to tell you the story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, I highly we'll put a link to all these books. Grab a book. There's another one called Le bon table which is a another compilation of his stories of oh my Bemelman's gosh, stories. I can't wait to read this. It's very good. So uh in his life he's worked in restaurants forever. I mean, he was a cook and uh, a waiter and he just like he talks about getting drunk every night and people taking him out but also he was kind of a snob too oh yeah and I've I like bemelman's yeah I he spoke several languages and he was very good at you know uh, coercing the rich and to getting favors done and uh, he kind of mingled with society I mean, he was very educated yeah and it wasn't so he wanted to become an illustrator and a writer and he talks about this throughout his life that he would he despised the restaurant industry yet he kept going back to it.
2: Yeah. And then he, like a lot of us, right? Yeah, a
1: lot of us. And I felt very, I'm not an illustrator, but you know, he was always trying to write and his writings got rejected for many years, many wow. years. And people didn't really know that he was much of an illustrator. In fact, he was trying to submit writings first before he did the Madeline character. So apparently there was a woman, Kay, somebody, and she went to his apartment in Manhattan and he had drawn murals all over his walls. Wow. And he had de- been developing this character based off his wife and his daughter called Madeline. And it was very much like Madeline, you know, in rows of two by two. And yeah. uh, and Madeline was kind of influenced by his wife, but also himself. Really? And so it was kind of an interesting thing because it was a ground, it was a gender breaking uh, cartoon character because it pictured this little Madeline girl as she was kind of a rebel. Yeah. And she was kind of like, I do whatever I want. And I think in. You know, the first book she gets appended she has to get her appendix removed and then, oh Madeline and then all the other girls of the of the of the orphanage I guess they were in, like wanted to get their appendix removed because she got candy <laughs> and she got to leave the school <laughs> so anyway he was very creative with this and it wasn't until nineteen I think it was nineteen thirty nine that he got these books published so this he was born i think in 1898 don't quote me wikipedia that yeah. i'm not here to tell you the dates i'm here exactly. to tell you the fascinating story so he's about 40 years old 38 okay. 40 years old that's when he starts to get his writings published and i think then interesting it really took, just about the age that you right? are now just about 40 and then he he just goes on and he starts writing he was very prolific and i think once he got that ball rolling right he got he was now starting to make money He somehow goes to Paris, buys a restaurant, it becomes a nightclub. He does cabaret shows. Cool. Goes back and then he's back and forth. Apparently, he used to, he would take uh, some of the earlier cruises with Hemingway and he wrote a book about going to Ecuador.
2: Can you imagine just like
1: in the 1940s? I
2: just really think that that era between like around the 30s and 40s and. Well, I guess not really the 40s in Europe, but more in America, (laughs) like in New York. Yeah, 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 Well, I think, you know, the whole World War II thing is is a little bit of a a downer overseas. But I just love the idea of like, you know, being in Ecuador. Did he go to Ecuador with uh, Hemingway?
1: I don't, they alluded to that. There was no necessarily. What a
2: masculine trip. That must have been. A lot of brooding. Yes, a lot of brooding. And Um, doodling.
1: But he continues to write more write more books and he starts to write adult books and the publishers of the children's book are thinking, hey, you shouldn't write such, I don't know, I haven't read some of the other books, so I cannot say for myself and I'd be mm-hmm. interested in reading them, but uh, they sort of urged him not to write so much because they thought the parents were the ones that were buying these books for their children and thought, oh, if this oh. gentleman refers to you know cocktail binging in, right, right, you right. Know, in Ecuador, like the, <laughs> the, he must not be an appropriate author for children. Right. However, it, you know it all worked out, and so it's interesting because his life became—he was much wealthier toward the end of his life, and I think he died in 1962, and he was around 64 years old. Okay, yeah, so he was born in 1898, and he died of pancreatic cancer. Oh, and no. it was kind of—I uh, believe it was sort of sudden, as it often is. Yeah, that's it. Uh, uh, but take he you had really done quite a bit of work, and especially the last 25 years of his life or you know 25 30 years of his life yeah. he really really was prolific amazing and i think it was interesting because <laughs> i found it, i connected with him myself thinking oh my gosh i've worked i mean all the jobs i've had since i've been like yeah. 14 years old and the craziness even in the 90s you know that i worked back then when you would get called horrible names in kitchens oh, yeah. and restaurants like i mean faggot was just the word puta was a word that was like normal yeah. Uh, Princessa, that was another one of mine. People like, called you Princessa? How did you react the, to the, those kind know, of... You know, ni- back in the 90s. Back in the 1990s. Back in the 1990s, darling. You just accepted what came you're to like,
2: you. like, yes, I am a princess. And what? And then I think,
1: oh, that's so weird. You know, he was he was very artistic and used the restaurant industry to well, both as an influence and, I don't know, support his career and his art. I love it. And... Much like Anthony Bourdain, Anthony Bourdain really didn't uh, start to become famous, as we call it, until after he, much after he was four, like forty-two, forty-three. Yeah, and so it's and they both died around the same time.
2: Yeah, later in life, later in life, success stories are inspiring because I think a lot of the time, you know, we sit around and kind of can feel very like me and you, but also I'm sure a lot of our millions of listeners probably share. share the same feeling. What am I doing with my life? Like I chose the wrong career. Oh, I'm 40. I'm 35. I'm 45. Like nothing's happened yet. And it just doesn't like things don't happen for everyone at the same time. And sometimes that's not a bad thing because, you know, maybe you become extremely successful at 28, but like at 28, maybe you're not completely sure what it was you wanted to do anyway. So perhaps the advantage of later in life success comes from kind of finessing and really like thinking about, who you actually want to be in the first place. I was just listening to WTF <clears throat> with David Harbour, the guy from Stranger Things, who I may or may not be in love with. Oh
1: yes. The sheriff. The sheriff.
2: Oh Maronamiya. But um he was talking about in his career too, how he was kind of, you know, had some mild success. But then Stranger Things came along when he was like forty and all of a sudden, now he's like a you know a big deal. So mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: So forty is the new fourteen, folks. Absolutely. So keep those fourteen-year-old mentality, those, <laughs> those fourteen-year-old <that> <laughs> attitude. But when you're forty, 40, 41, it just looks funnier. <laughs> it's odd. <laughs>
2: so I really, um, I'm really interested in that story, and I kind of want to know. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but so Bemelman's Bar, he obviously okay. So he painted the painted original. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in New York City, I highly recommend.
1: First of all. Uh, Bellman's Bar, and I will uh later include one of the oh, 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 one Ooh, of the co- a Oh, an iPhone <laughs> dropping uh, that screen. Just, will be $179,000, <laughs> please. The
2: gentle sounds of iPhones cracking and breaking. And
1: he, there's a really there's a cocktail that they they have there, that, but it was invented in 2002, so it's not a classic cocktail, but there's the recipe that I wanted to include. Uh, which was one of Bebelman's famous things, and it wasn't a recipe, but it was the 1920s lemon pound cake from the Ritz-Carlton.
2: Oh, my God. And I
1: was going to make it and bring it over here, but I didn't have any lemons.
2: When life gives you no lemons, you don't just, make pound cake. Yeah. That's the lesson from today, folks. Goodbye. Go get a coffee. <laughs> <When> <laughs> Go get a coffee and take some psyllium husk. Fiber supplement. (laughs) I have been taking psyllium husk lately too, and I'm telling you, it's doing wonders for my physique. We highly recommend psyllium husk. Yeah. Uh, So,
1: yeah, I don't know. It was just, I thought this, you really, really have to read these stories. These stories that Bemelmans wrote are all in the details of like, he really, really paints the picture of what it was like to work in the hotel industry, in the restaurant industry back in wait. the day. I
2: can't wait. And you know what? The word
1: also in the forward, Anthony Bordian said, it could have been written last year or a hundred years ago. Yeah. It's still, let me tell you, like when we're working these events and, you know, we've worked in restaurants pretty recently, it gets, you're down in the trenches sometimes. Oh yeah,
2: absolutely. That, absolutely. I
1: mean, Saturday night Zara, Zara was, she had a hotel pant and for those of you that, a hotel pant's a very large, Giant, it's like a giant, large lasagna pan. Yeah. It's like four lasagnas. Like a, fit. Exactly. Big hotel pan. She's got a hotel pan of paella. We're making shrimp. T- or, uh, I am I got the deep fryer going. Yeah. I was like, oh, I only have to fry 94 pieces <laughs> of, of fish dipped in a beer batter in a home fryer. In a home fryer. And I had 22 minutes to do it. And I was like, well, math-wise, it. that doesn't work and out. That was
2: del- it was but it d- delicious and perfectly cooked.
1: You know what I discovered because i I make a lot of beer batter because I'm from Wisconsin. That's just a thing, and I decided I used to do like straight. By the way, if you're listening, beer batter super easy: one cup flour, one cup beer, and whatever else you want to put in it.
2: And right? a hope and a prayer.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can hope. And you know what I say with, a little with hot cooking, sauce? Uh, I put, I did. You put, I put a some, hot I put sauce? Some, yeah, I put some hot sauce in. I didn't you put take, some hot sauce? I put a teaspoon of baking powder. Oh, and I put right. a quarter cup of cornstarch. Oh, excuse so, me. Yeah, yeah. So now
2: all of a sudden it's not just so easy anymore. And then I
1: drank the other half of the beer. <laughs> <laughs> you got to drink the other half. Yeah, of course. I had two beers. Actually, I just drank the whole God one. damn it, Brett! Just kidding. I didn't. I put it in there.
2: Uh, but yeah, so you're just, you know, beer batter. You can make it as thin or as thick as you want. Yeah. Uh, I think with beer batter, if I may interject quickly mm-hmm. um, on this beer batter tangent we're on, um, I think like it should look sometimes thinner than you would think, not like watery thin, but not like pancake batter.
1: Yeah, it should be a little bit thinner because it does. It's, you, it, it's lighter.
2: It's lighter. It's not as cakey. You think it's and wet, gonna fall off? And it. But doesn't. But it doesn't. No, not a few flour than you're doing before.
1: Any questions? Please send us an email. We love to answer beer batter questions. Yeah, or
2: just pray to God. God, if you're out there,
1: if you're out there, just go to a restaurant fix and my beer get fish and chips. <laughs> Have us come over. We're
2: available. Uh, now I want fish and chips. Oh, fish and chips. But, but yeah, back in the day, like, you know, the
1: whole point is working in the in the restaurant industry as a cook and everything is really glamorized. And I know we get to the subject again and again, but let me tell you, you know, and then we're cooking and we're trying to make ourselves all like fun. And
2: yeah, but yeah, it's uh, I think what you're saying when you said that Anthony said that it could have been any decade, essentially, yeah. to paraphrase, Um Absolutely. I think a lot of times the only thing that changes is the clothing, the level of work and the pressure and the uh, high stakes and the stress. Uh, And I think also the crudeness and like one thing that always resonated with me about kitchen confidential and about working in kitchens and now about working out of professional kitchens, but still in, you know, the cooking world, there is violence. And I don't always mean violent. I don't mean like, Oh, I'm going to stab you violence. I mean, aggressive Energy burning, like splattering. Yeah, Um, I
1: burned my finger. We Zara and I both burned fingers. Yeah, cursing. Uh,
2: you know, knocking into people sometimes. Um, yelling. Uh, you know, being nasty to each other.
1: Two weeks ago, we Zara murder. Yeah, we We catered a rooftop Manhattan pool party. Now, if anybody remembers the scene from Sex and the City, remember when they were her? What was this her boyfriend's name? It was uh, Mr. Big,
0: no, Aiden, not no Steve. It
1: was, I'm telling a very bad story. There was a pool scene in which they play a Sade song at the very end. Remember, when they were swimming naked in the rooftop. Oh, was, Richard, Richard. Oh
2: my God, I fucking hated that guy. He was gross. He was gross, but he the was pool, ugly. Anyways, and gross. Sorry,
1: this part looked boyfriend. exactly like that rooftop it, it, it pool did. part. It did. Look and like so that. we're cooking on a Saturday day. It was 95 degrees. No umbrellas. Yeah, we. I was at the roof on the top. Everybody swimming and we're, and there was a band playing. It was so loud and it was really. I mean, everybody was really nice. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful. But band. we were hot,
2: hot, 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 hot. From matchi, ten a.m. until fire. nine
1: p.m. at night, I was like, "There is no getting out of this." Thank God I wore white. Yeah. Except for the black jeans, I did dip my hand into the oil of the yellow peppers that I was roasting in the grill, and then and, he caught on fire. And I lit my pinky on fire. It was very beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> the fr- and what I did was like, I grabbed a quart. A quart container in, in restaurant terms. There's like this, you know, like the Chinese soup. Yeah, like the you large know, you'd soup. be so
2: surprised that people don't know what a quart How many? I know. Most I people don't container. know what a quart is. A quart container. Look it up, people a out quart there. Is Educate ounces. yourselves yeah, yeah, it's about math. Four
1: cups to a quart, two cups to a pint, two pints to a quart, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Anyway, so I grabbed our friend Ryan. Ryan was bartending and I was like, Ryan, I need a, 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 a gin and soda. <laughs> I did. I asked for a gin and soda. I don't know. I thought it would feel better in my heart. And then if I got. <laughs> So I grabbed my hand and I stuck my hand. You put in yourself out in a gin, soda. gin and soda. It was actually a gin and grapefruit Lacroix, and <laughs> God, you're a grapefruit Lacroix. And I dipped my hand in it, and then I took a sip of it, and I was like, "This is disgusting." Because my yeah. hands were covered in oil,
2: right? And also had like your skin had just like singed. my skin <laughs> had
1: singed, and then I drank it. <laughs> I know. I, <laughs> dear, dear, dear listeners i do not mean to <laughs> now underneath it all i'm a very classy gentleman <laughs> but let me tell you when it's 100 degrees and you're over grill you Absol- do things
2: you do things you wouldn't normally do or you would normally do and, and you who, say you wouldn't who
1: would think that the pain of a, a second degree burn in a pinky
2: i would i do you remember what happened in my hand that time at Brusey when i grabbed a blazing hot frying pan handle deserve- without my towel and it hand stuck to my hand and so one thing that we always learn
1: as cooks always grab and even as anything a home, with a towel a, as a home cook or a chef it doesn't matter i don't care if you're working by yourself no you wear an apron and you stick two towels on it a hundred percent and, it, and, and always grab to, everything with a and towel. and if you're worried about that you lost a towel and you don't want to do the laundry i don't care grab more towels yeah grab 10 of them
2: yeah if always you use a towel
1: keep towels on you and don't use wet towels yeah to Don't don't grab a wet towel and pull something out of the oven because then you will steam totally steam burn your hand.
2: And one other thing that I want to mention, and actually want to get back to your story because I think it's really, I want to have a couple other questions about it. But one other little thing I've learned as I've gotten older, and this uh, pertains to cooking, but also just generally living, uh, don't grab something if it's falling. Yeah, whether it's food or like a shelf or whatever, and you know what I mean. Like if you're carrying, if you grab something out of the oven. And it's like so, so hot that like you're gonna burn yourself. Just fucking drop yeah, it. Yeah, let it drop. It's gonna be okay. You know what I mean? The other day, my friend Steve, our friend Steve, who's a chef, he said he had a 25 pound block of Parmesan cheese that it was fought.
1: 25 pound
2: fa- block. 25. Well, how does he. He's so the like other day, 25, he's not. Anyway, he's he fucking British. You get the point. Yeah, yeah. So he said there was a 25 pound wheel of Parm and it was going to drop off a shelf. So he tried to grab it and mm-hmm. it fell on his hand. Mm-hmm. and we had dinner and he's like yeah it fell on my hand and he picks up his hand and it's like the size of fucking one of those hands you get at like a yeah like a, a baseball game, game. <laughs> you know like, you're like yeah oh, like a, a number one fan hand mm-hmm. that's what it looked like and i was like dude don't catch things when they're falling you know That's what? the moral you can, of the story that
1: parmesan wheel is covered in protective material let that shit fall you can wash that off
2: you got to just deal with you the know, aftermath
1: gonna, don't worry we're not worry we are your your secret's safe with us. We won't tell the guests that. Yeah, you.
2: just let it fall. But so I think that um, I think that you really transported us to a very interesting place today, with um, you know just the kind of glamour and the grit of uh, you know New York during the nineteen twenties through let's say nineteen forties fifties.
1: Yeah, there was. I didn't. I did not want to go ahead and tell you all these stories because I think they're they're much better read. I would of hope course. that someday somebody makes some of these stories into uh, a movie, a, a movie, perhaps because, West Anderson. Uh, it screen, sounds very Wes uh, Anderson screenplay, screen, screenplay letter. Here's your yeah. idea. <laughs> and you can say you heard from me and I'll get 5% of all cuts. We're uh, going to make
2: this date. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's really, really cool. And I think that, um, I think that something that I think that if you're really into, there's a certain kind of person who really loves being in the service industry and it's not for everyone. And I think you have to be attracted To that kind of um, all encompassing pain and pleasure at the same time. And I think that is a lot of what um, Anthony Bourdain conveyed to us in Kitchen Confidential. And it sounds like what you're saying is part of these books. It's just like, it's a, I think it's a draw to like a glamorous and filthy lifestyle all at once.
1: No. I'll read one more little, one more snippet Please. from Anthony Bourdain. Please. He's saying exactly what you say. He's, he's really? such a good writer. He's, he is such a good yeah, writer. Yeah, he's a fantastic writer. And he says this, this is also in the same foreword from the book Hotel Bubblemans. It said Restaurant slash hotel people through the decades have shared an unchanging outlook and value system, a world weary cynicism mixed with flashes of optimism. So true. Wow. Keen powers of observation shape the way they speak, hold themselves, and even stand in place. Looking out at a group of chefs and waiters sprinkled among civilians, even if all are dressed alike, most of us in a life can easily discern who among them are our fellow hospitality workers. Oh. Right? So true. Sure, because yeah, sometimes like, I don't. I want to pretend like, oh, I don't really work in restaurants. Yeah, False. I love like, it. I've worked for my whole life, and, and it's like
2: being part of a secret club of people who like get you. And the, I don't know. I think. You know, as we kind of flutter around to our different Cheerses, and you're like, "Oh yeah, that person used to work with that person at that place. Oh yeah, my friend Bretton used to work at Lupa, and then like he worked at Franny's, and then he knows that person. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I love that. I love the service industry connection. I love the horrors that have happened to me and also, like, the great things that have happened, like, working in a restaurant and... The people, the, the staff that
1: works, and also everybody seems to have a master's degree in New York City. Or, Absolutely. like, you think, like, oh, this person, oh, they're just working in a restaurant. Like, oh, dearie, what else do you do? Yeah. Which a lot of people actually do do a lot of other things. and
2: A lot of people do and a lot of people don't. Like, you know, there's career waiters at places that, you know, for Bomonties, for instance, where I love, where I've been a regular mm. for, <laughs> you know... I don't know, 15 years now. My favorite waiter there has worked there for like 50 years, and he doesn't do anything else, and that's his job, and he loves it, and he's proud one, of it. Which one, Silvio? Yeah, Silvio. He's now, how old is
1: he, 86?
2: Yeah, he's like 86 86, if
1: you ever go to, if you ever come to New York City, here's our shout-out. I think we've said Pamontes before. I don't think so. Well, we're giving away the whole secret, and he's going to have a, there's going to be a line best. at the door, but he's one of the coolest waiters. He's it's
2: the best. Fifth, how long? 50 years? 50 Maybe years. Maybe even
1: longer. He 50. used
2: to work at the. um Oh, at the Gaslight Lounge before.
1: That's right. Yeah. And he will tell you stories. And yeah. not only that, but how is this this guy who you're like, oh, my God, poor thing. Like, I hope I'm not 86 and working in a restaurant. First of all, this guy's happy. He as loves heck. it. And loves all the it. waiters there. And he is faster, smarter, and better than half of the 20-something-year-old that waiters. That
2: guy can crumb a fucking table. That guy can crumb a table. I've never seen. I mean,
1: the way he put down, um, did we get clams? casino? <laughs> and we got up. Baked clams? Baked clams, I think we got. Yeah. I don't remember. But oh, I just remember the way that they, it was such a beautiful service.
2: Yeah, it's wonderful. So I think that some people just love being in the service industry. And I don't know. I think it takes a very high level of intellect, actually, to be able to do the things that like waiters and bartenders and cooks and porters and dishwashers are able to do yes, a high level of patience, a high level of patience. And also I like to surround myself with people who are comfortable with working hard because someone can, who can really work hard, whatever industry you're in, I think it says something about your character as a person, someone who really can get their hands dirty, who can work long hours and, you know, hustle to make a dollar like understands life a bit better. Um it's
1: very, it's very military. Like it's very militant when, when you're in the service and, yeah. and during the functioning hours of
2: it's extremely hard.
1: And sometimes you know if you ever go and sit at a bar somewhere, or one of our favorite things to do. <laughs> I've sex. never
2: sit at a what? Who sit at a where in sit the house? In a bar How and do you when you, do you
1: that? watch a bartender work really hard, yeah. it is sexy.
2: It's very sexy. It's amazing. And I feel the same way about watching people cook. And I felt mm-hmm. the same way about myself when I was cooking. I felt sexy and in in control and like cool and uh, yeah I I don't know I think that the service industry is fascinating and terrible and scary and great and I don't know I that, that was one of the things that I was really struck by Anthony Bourdain's passing this week was it kind of really like tugged at my heartstrings and my nostalgia just for like working in service and this you know and Bemelman's story and his kind of what you're describing as his experiences in the industry feels so Like the same way, you know, and just, I don't know, I guess just thinking about love of something that's also so painful. Yes. You know, it really brought up a lot of those feelings. And thank you for sharing that because I was thinking about a way to address the Anthony Bourdain tragedy, which really, I think, like hurt people in such a deep way more than anyone. I honestly, I was thinking to myself, I'm like the only other person who could have passed away a public figure that would have, Made me feel this ad would be like, God forbid, like Barack or Michelle Obama. Like, I can't think of anyone else that would like, it would hurt so much. It hurts so much.
1: Yeah. So I think we'll, you know, we'll end it here on this okay. lovely note. But no, I think just to use the inspirational things that we've learned and uh, the writings that we have. Yeah. And, you know, everybody's got to live their dream. Absolutely. And, and I it, think. that's right, go ahead. No, this, that's what he did. And Yeah whether it's a uh, midlife, late life, early life, or who cares when.
2: Yeah. Just go for it. And like, yeah, I, and I guess I just want to say like, in one, and one, then hopefully down the line we get to do an Anthony Borden episode. Um, but I guess I would like to say if you're listening up there in the ether, hopefully maybe like you meet my dad <laughs> and I wanted to just say personally, thank you for the contribution. You know, I, I, I don't know who I'm saying thank you to cause clearly he'll never hear this, but um, just share my appreciation with anyone listening about what his contribution was to my personal life. And also, you know, my dad was a very sick person and he couldn't like, barely walk to the, you know, kitchen or it took him a while to get to the bathroom from his chair that he'd sit in. And he'd call me and he'd say, oh, I uh, I went with Bordine. We went to, he called him Bordine, We went to Argentina, you know, and mm-hmm. he like got to that's travel what, yeah. all around the world because of that. And that's really special i can't yep. imagine what it is to be able to do that for people
1: so listen everybody this is our this is our mission go book yourself a ticket to some go to crete or go to <laughs>
2: get on a plane and go to the crete. crete right now. go somewhere
1: create such an aggressive it's, sounding place yeah, yeah. just crete. go buy yourself a ticket And if you can't maybe you can't buy a ticket maybe you can go to the weird restaurant in your city or your neighborhood Absolutely. that you're like oh i've always wanted to go there but i've never go to that yeah that funny Ethiopian place, the one that like you've heard about and you just never... and go get yourself. Oh my gosh, injera! Let's not talk about. I love okay. injera.
2: I don't know where that is.
1: It's injera, the bread from Ethiopia. Oh, which, sorry, it's p- correctly pronounced Ethiopia. I've had Okay. A friend, yeah,
2: I have. I don't have that much experience with Ethiopian food, but I'd like to have more.
1: Well, it's delicious bread. I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on how to make injera, and it's not easy. Really? That's teff flour, and you have to ferment it. Teff. Yeah. Mm. They have. That's it's, not
2: easily accessible either. You can't just go down to the old. Oh, you can order on Amazon now. That's true. I order but, everything on Amazon. I am mm-hmm. obsessed. I'm like, oh, nail polish remover. Why would I go to the yeah, store? Yeah. Just get that shit yeah. on Amazon. Ah, uh, yes. I'll have two pounds of tough flour, a nail
1: polish remover, <laughs> and five swizzle sticks. <laughs> oh, and rechargeable batteries. Perfect. Oh, always, always. So listen, check out batteries. the check out the Instagram. And we have all kinds of fun things check coming up. out Check it out! Check and it out! Check it we'll out! Check it out! We'll get that lemon, that Ritz Carlton oh. Belmont's lemon pound cake recipe. Oh up. my god,
2: you have to make that for me, even though I'm oh, not yeah, we'll eating slather sugar anymore.
1: With, we'll slather it with some strawberries and rhubarb. That sounds. Oh, that does sound
2: delicious. Delicious. Please, um, if you're out there and you like this podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. It will help us be able to get rich enough to take you all on a private yacht with us. That's right.
1: And we'll be planning that trip through the Scottish Isles where we'll learn how to drink scotch in the year 2034.
2: Exactly. And there'll be plenty of pound cake for everyone.
1: Perfect. Thank you again, and we will see you next week.
2: Asta la pasta.
1: dum, dum, dum,
2: dun, dun. Bing! All of our episodes are recorded right here at Studio 54 at the heart of Fort Brooklyn, Green, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Our rock star award-winning sound editor and producer is Christine Farrell. I'm Zara Tangora.
1: And I'm Bretton Scott. And we'll see you next time.
2: Thanks for listening. <laughs>